The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our New Testament reading comes to us from James chapter 1. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. God, we thank you for your word. It's called the Trail of Tears. And it's the path that was taken by those native to this land we now call the United States. People who were forced by the threat of the white man's guns and armies to abandon their homes and travel in the dead of winter without any food or supplies to travel 1,200 miles across the Mississippi River to a place that was reserved and promised for them. It's called the Trail of Tears because so much life was lost along the way. Almost a quarter of the Native Americans on the Trail of Tears died from the trials of starvation, exhaustion, and disease. What if that were you? What if foreign soldiers today beat on your door with guns drawn saying, out you go. This place no longer belongs to you. What would give you any motivation or any muscle to walk 1,200 miles? What would keep you pushing through the trials of this trail as you're watching your sisters and your brothers and the young babies and the old ladies fall dead left and right around you. It would have to be the promise of something far better than this trial and this trail that I'm in the middle of walking. The letter of James is written to followers of Jesus who because of their allegiance to Jesus as their new master, are forced out of their homes without supply and dispersed out to a place that's not their home. 
They're faced with significant trial. How does the master Jesus call them to respond to the trial of this trail? Well, James says it in the first word in verse 12. Blessed. Happy. You know that song? I'm so happy, clap along if you feel like happiness is for you. That's, that's how James says to respond. Happy. Verse 12, blessed, happy is the man who remains steadfast on this trail. Happy is the man who remains steadfast under trial. What in the world are you talking about, James? That is not our default in trials. Our default is not a response of happiness. No way. It's instead complaining, it's arguing, it's blaming, it's wishing we were someplace else or somewhere else or someone else. It's easy for us to veer off the trail God has for us into a place much darker and far more dangerous for us. Where is that place? What can veer us off the trail, the happy trail that God has designed to lead to our perfect and promised life? What is that? It's temptation. And what is temptation? Temptation is, simply put, the encouragement, the offer to diss God. To disregard Him, diss Him. To disrespect Him, diss Him. To disobey Him, diss God. To be led off of the trail that he has paved for us toward a destination called perfection. And we all have a bent to veer off that trial trail and onto a wide road that's leading to a deadly cliff. Trials are the trail to a perfect life. And often we want off when the trial gets hard. But if trials are the path to a perfect life, then we must believe, friends, we must believe on that trail to a perfect life. In that trial, we must believe one central thing. On the trial, on the trail, God is always good. God is always good. Two questions this passage is wanting us to answer on the trail of trials. First, how do we slip off the trail in our trials? What does temptation look like? And then second, how does a good God keep us on the trail of trials? First, how do we slip off the trail of trials? Three things happen as we fall into the temptation trap. Three steps we take. And the first step James shows us in verse 13 is this. The blame shift. Verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. We can find encouragement in this verse that what will be common to all of us, like I said earlier, is temptation. There is not an if he is tempted. It says when he is tempted. We're all going to face temptation at some point. But when the thought comes to diss God, the first thing we might do is blame God for the temptation. 
blame the good God for wanting us, our desire to wanting to diss him. Friends, that's single-handedly the work of an evil enemy who's trying to distract us from seeing his slithery, snake-like self at work. He doesn't want us, the enemy, the devil, doesn't want us to know it's him behind our temptation. He wants us to believe God is the one to blame for the temptation. Think about the passage that Reagan read for us this morning in Genesis 3. What were the first words out of the serpent's mouth? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? In other words, the serpent is saying, can you believe God would set you up so unfairly as to not let you eat from all of these trees? He's blame slipping. He's shifting the blame onto God. And we see this all of the time in our world when awful, evil things happen in the world. Who gets the blame? Not our sinful selves. Not the ways of a rebellious world. Not the forces of evil. No. We title our books and our lectures, Why Does God Allow Bad Things to Happen? When we're on a trail of trial and we begin to blame God for the temptation to get off the trial we experience, when we make a good God the bad guy, we then make the bad guy, our sinful flesh, and our foe the devil, the good guy. I want to ask us a question this morning. What are you blaming God for today? That's not his fault. What are you blaming God for today that is not his fault, but rather the fault of sinful, broken people, misguided by a stealthy tempter? First is the blame shift. And after the blame shift comes the second step. A pleasure trip. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Once God is named the bad guy and our eyes go off of him, where do our eyes naturally shift? Onto ourselves. Onto what we want. Onto our desires. I don't want this trial. I want treats. I want better offers of sugary pleasure. And those things begin to tickle our imaginations. And we're dragged away from the current of God's path for us like fish by the smell of better bait. Or the bright and shiny lure that's sitting there. We ignore the hook. We just pay attention to the look of the lure. Oh, that looks so good. And again, look at the serpent in the garden offering a better life, shiny lure, where you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. Ooh, that looks so good. I remember last year when I was hiking many miles on the Appalachian Trail. If you know the trail, you know there's something called trail magic. 
And it's where random people from the community load up their car or load up their cooler with candy and cookies and Coca-Cola for weary hikers like me. And as I'm eating protein-rich, carb-loaded, dehydrated food, as my feet are blistered from wet boots on the trail, as my back is sore from carrying my gear, suddenly better offers are in my head. Then magically, someone pulls up next to me in a van, opens up the back of her van and says, help yourself. I open to find like lemonade, Reese's peanut butter cups, Sour Patch Kids, the bounty of temporary pleasure. Oh, mine. On the trail of trial that you are on right now, what is the better offer whispering, want some fruit? Want some trail magic? What is the back of that van filled with for you? Is it your version of a perfect here and now? Is it a temporary hookup with another man or another woman who will give you the time of your life? Is it a better job that will offer you far less stress? Is it a worry-free, free responsibility, free existence? There's the trail magic. See the hook. See the cliff. See the thousand-foot fall with bodies lying at the bottom of this. So we go from the blame shift to the pleasure trip to finally the trap gets tripped. The further we veer from the path God has for us in our trials, the closer we step toward the trap. Here, verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. James ironically uses the process of birth to illustrate the cliff of temptation that temptation takes us to. When we think the pleasure trip is better than what God has for us, the devil and our desire basically hook up and have a baby called sin. When it has conceived, desire when it has hooked up with the devil's schemes, gives birth to sin. They have that baby. What happens to that baby when that baby grows up? The baby gives birth to what? Death. The hookup is the pulling of the hook where the fish is pulled out of the water to die, where the animal steps into the snare and is slowly strangled. And James's warning to his audience and to us is this in verse 16. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't be duped. See all of these steps as coming straight from the serpent, from the father of lies, from the devil himself. He would rather have you floundering and dying in the trap of sin than finishing the trail in the arms of your Savior. 
When he whispers, when the devil whispers, did God really say? We shout back, yes, he did, and it's for my good. When the devil whispers, there must be a more pleasurable way, we shout back, no, there is no God greater. When he whispers, just one bite, we shout back, I've tasted, I've seen that the Lord is good. God is not to be blamed. He's to be believed. There's no better pleasure than eternal life with him. And the trail of trial, as hard as it is, has perfect life at the end. We have to believe that. That's what will keep us on that trail. God is good. God is good all the time. God is good. So how does a good God, how does he keep us on the trail of trials? Left to ourselves, we see what happens. But entrusted to him, we see what happens. How does he keep us on the trail? Three ways. He lights our path, the Father does. The Son releases our trap. And the Spirit delivers us back. All of this is the hope of a new creation. First, the Father lights our path. Look at verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The picture here that James is giving us is one of contrast. Compare God with all of the lights that you know to be in the sky. Sun, moon, stars. Compare him with that. Okay, so we got to remember this is written to an original audience that did not have electricity. We don't understand this anymore. Unless you go camping, maybe. Because something like nighttime, when trials really kick in, something like nighttime was variable. It involved shifting of shadows. For some of the month, right, the moon is really bright. You can see the trail clearly. But other times of the month, it's dimmed and even gone. Trials are very much like that, right? Some nights, they're manageable. And other nights, they feel very dark and ominous when the path forward seems completely unrecognizable. Well, James describes the Father like the noonday sun, the Father of lights, ready to provide what we need in the dark when we need it. The verb in there, coming from above, coming down from above, is a present active participle, which means it's continuously giving these good portions like food and gifts like flashlights. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. When I'm in a trial, I sometimes want to believe that the darkness growing around me is a sign that God has left me. Isn't it amazing how the darkness of 2 a.m. can affect your faith? Circumstances, dark surroundings are messing with my belief. But if I believe that the Father's goodness shines no less brighter at 2 a.m. than he does on the morning of his resurrection, then I must walk in the light of his day as he is in the light of my night. The Father lights our path. 
continually. And as he lights our path, the sun releases our trap. Verse 18. Of the Father's own will, he brought us forth. He's using the same verb to describe a birth. He birthed us by the word of truth. The word of truth, it's code for the gospel. The good news that Jesus has released us, all of us, dead and dangling prisoners who believe in him from our traps that have been clamped on our feet, from our slips into dissing God. And he's released us with a word from the Son on the cross. Father, forgive them. We have been delivered from the punishment of sin through him taking on the snare and the punishment himself. We have been delivered to the paradise that God has given to us through his resurrection. Jesus' trial, friends, was the ultimate trial that paved the trail for our trials to a perfect life. No one, no one could ever have believed that the trial of a cross could ever be good. But what man intends for evil, God always uses for good. As you're on the trail of your various trials, I want to encourage you to hear the word of truth. As hard as this trial is, it will never kill you. As bad as you think this journey is right now, the destination is better than you can even imagine. And for those who have fallen off of the cliff of temptation this week, where you've given in to the blame shift, you've taken a ride on the pleasure trip, and the trap has snapped on your ankle or your neck, friends, Christ's word over you, his banner over you, still reads, loved. That trap cannot hold you in Christ. He hung in the snare for you. That snare can no longer hold you. Father lights the path. The Son releases the trap. And finally, the Spirit delivers us back. Last part of verse 18. That we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Remember, there is a new creation coming at the end of this trail of trials. And James says, the spirit living inside your heart that has set you free is full evidence of what is to come. The spirit is the first fruit. The spirit is the sneak preview to what's to come. Because if we have the spirit, we are born into another place another world, eternal life. Where we, as verse 12 says, will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. It's not a royal crown probably that James is talking about. This is a victory wreath that's given to runners who have finished the hard run race in the Spirit's strength. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. When we're on this trail of trials, 
believing. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. When all you see is trial after trial in situations in which you are only seeing the trial or the trail, let the Father's finish line be lit up. God is good all the time. When all you see are the awful headlines, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, MSNBC, everything you read on your phone, awful headlines, pay less attention to what's being produced on this earth, sin, death, destruction, and more attention to what's being perfectly given from heaven, forgiveness, life, eternity. God is good all the time. When all you see is death, Look to your new birth from Jesus as a gift and see the deposit of new life promising. This is not the end. I've got the Spirit of God living in me which says I'm born for a different place. God is good all the time. And when all you hear are lies, refuse the devil's lies which want you to blame God, which want you to live for the now, want you to ignore the truth of the gospel. Believe instead all the time. God is good. My mother-in-law has a practice when she first opens up a book. You may have the same practice. She reads the last page of the book first. As we walk life's trail of trials... We have to read the last page first. Because what's at the end? The glorious goodness of God. Otherwise, we will slip. And I want to read some of those last words from Revelation. Written to a church. Say this. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days, you will have tribulation or trial. Be faithful, Jesus says. Be faithful. Which means, again, refusing the lies of the blame shift and the pleasure trip. Believing that God is good as the Father who lights my path. The Son who's released my trap and the Spirit who's going to deliver me back home. Be faithful, it says, unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The trail of these trials, Jesus promises, leads to a perfect life where he welcomes his freed children home forever. Believe on this trail of trials. All the time, God is good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, some of us are in the midst of trials that feel very heavy and feel very real and tangible. And some of us, you're giving us this passage to prepare us for trials. But Father, help us all to remember wherever we are on these trails, that there's a perfect and glorious end. 
kingdom of God fully realized. A crown awaiting us. When we want to give up, when we want to blame you, when we want to give in to temporary fixes that make us feel a little better, we pray, Father, that you would help fix our eyes on our perfect end, a good and glorious God. And Father, as we have our eyes set on him on these, in these trials and on this trail, may the world around us see that our feet are not trapped, that our neck is not tied, that we're free to live. And may you use our lives and our words to communicate to the world that Jesus is the one who set us free. We pray this all in his name. Amen.